Good to see you. Pleasure is mine. Parsha Spashalach. Our Parsha presents the spectacular miracle at Yamsuf when the sea split for Bnei Yisrael and later crashed down to drown our pursuing enemy, the Mitzrayim. And then there are other miracles in the Parsha as well, as the Parsha retells the story of Bnei Yisrael's sojourn in the desert. It speaks of the man, the miraculous food which fell from heaven, and the Be'er, the well of Miriam, and other wondrous deliverances from Hashem. So it seems to be a parasha about miracles. In fact, the final passage in our parasha concludes appropriately with the statement, Vayivan Moshe Mizbeach, Vayikra Shmo, Hashem Nisi. Moshe declares, Hashem Nisi, Hashem is my miracle, or my miraculous one. I would argue this ending to the parsha captures the theme of the entire parsha. It's a parsha of miracles. It's a parsha of sing Hashem as our miraculous one. But for all of the satisfaction of consistency, thematic consistency in our parsha, there's an obvious question to be asked, an elephant in the room sort of question. And that is the question of, here we go again. Is it just more miracles? Dovetailing with the previous parshios, the parshios of Yitzias Mitzrayim, Shmos Ve'erabo, with their wondrous makos, Hashem revealed himself so powerfully, so magnificently, so overtly. Why do we need more miracles in Parshas B'Shalach? Is it just here we go again? From a theological perspective, from a conceptual perspective, there must be some new meaning to the divine revelation of the miracles in our parsha. Somehow, we wouldn't know Hashem the same way, relate to Hashem the way, the, the same way, be capable of developing a personal connection to Hashem in the same way, if not for the miracles of Parsha Peshalach. And the question is, why? What are they contributing? So for starters, let's observe what was very incomplete about the miracles of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim until this point. And that is, glorious as it is that the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, they are free but not free at last. Because after all, it's not a final absolute liberation, Paro released them with a very conditional or a very limited bequest. He said you can leave on a three-day journey, and then the implication is you need to return. And if you don't return, Paro might very likely chase after them, as he in fact does. In fact, Rashi tells us that Paro actually sent scouts, Egyptian scouts with Claudius Yisrael, to spy on them and their whereabouts and to ensure that they wouldn't escape. And that's why when the Jewish people did not return, the Pesach says, The king of Egypt was told that the people had escaped. It was these scouts, says Rashi, 
who returned to Mitzrayim and told Pyro. So what we see is, when the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, it was only an exodus in a geographical sense. They were out of Mitzrayim. But they were not truly free men. They did not have that sense of security, of safety, of succor. They were vulnerable. It was Pesach on the first few days was, you might say, a vacation of sorts, a temporary reprieve. But then there's the expectation of what's going to come crashing down on them, the boot of Paro. It was only in our parashat Yamsuf when Hashem finishes off the Mitzrayim once and for all, and He says, as you've seen Mitzrayim today, you will not see them again. They will drown in Yamsuf. Now you are free. Now, now you could say, God Almighty, we are free at last. And therefore, our entire relationship to Hashem changes at Yamsuf. Prior to Yamsuf, he's a great God who does great things for us, but he has not demonstrated total conclusive salvation. You can have a doubtful voice who will say, is God going to finish the job for you? Now, of course, that little voice that would ask after Yitzhiya Smitzrayim prior to Yamsuf, is God going to come through for you? We would respond with a, of course he will. He showed himself to be master of heaven and earth in Mitzrayim. So, of course, he's not going to abandon his people at this point. But the very fact that there can be murmurs of doubt prior to Kriyas Yamsef, are we truly free? Paro's scouts are still on our tail. The very fact that victory is inconclusive in some way diminishes the sheer power of the spectacle of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim and the faith we can have in Hashem as our absolute protector. And this is a very big deal. The notion of does Hashem have a reliability in a conclusive sense or can there be murmurs of doubt? Well, you know, maybe, maybe the Egyptians will come after you and who knows. Because murmurs of doubts are very, very harmful when we talk about faith. We could all attest to situations where there is the slightest question mark, the slightest doubt raised in any area of life. For example, someone can criticize us, our job performance, and we might know that the criticism is off the mark. But the very fact that the criticism was launched against us will generally ebb away ever so slightly at one's confidence. Where if one is driving and... They hear a very distant remote chance that the vehicle they're driving will malfunction. Well, suddenly they're not holding that steering wheel wheel quite as relaxed. They're a little more tense. However distant the possibility is, there's something insidious to the voice of doubt. We crave that security, that reliance, And that's what we achieved at Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. 
and by extension the miracles in our parsha I am suggesting, when Hashem did not merely do wonders, did not merely take us out of Mitzrayim as a temporary reprieve, but chose, you're free at last, and I will take care of you in the desert. You can really, really, really trust me. No more murmurs of doubt, total reliability. And that explains, this explains, the power of the term used in our, in our parsha for the very first time. At Yamsuf it says, Vayaminu Hashem. They had Amuna in Hashem. That magical word Amuna, faith, which hadn't appeared in Mitzrayim, notwithstanding the great miracles. But Amuna doesn't appear. Because faith means absolute reliance. Faith, the word Amuna on its deepest level connotes security, something bedrock. And you see this from other etymological usages of the word Amuna. For example, the word Amuna relates to the word aim as in a mother. The mother is that security figure who the child does not doubt for a moment. If the child would even have a little question mark of doubt, it would undermine the entire relationship to the mother, everything the mother means to him and her. It's that absolutism, that total reliability. And perhaps as children, it's a little of a delusion that we are unaware of the limitations which our parents have as mere mortals. But that's what an aim is. And likewise, the word amuna is related to the word uman, as in an expert craftsman, one who could be totally trusted, who is taking care of the project. Amuna is a bedrock sort of faith, which we have in Hashem. The Jewish people only had this at Yamsuf when Hashem finished the job for, for them. This is a game changer. The whole concept of faith requires Hashem demonstrating himself conclusively. Hashem coming through for us 100%. If it's even 99.99999, it undermines the whole edifice of Hamuna. Due to the insidious nature of doubt, even remote doubt. And there are other aspects to Yamsuf where other comparisons between the miracles at Yamsuf in, contra- in relationship to the previous miracles in Mitzrayim, which underscore the same point. For example, we all know the well-known passage in the Haggadah, the end of the Magad, that totally spectacular passage when it starts to tally up how many times the Egyptians were struck over the head, tens and tens of times. And it tells us, hey, in Mitzrayim they were struck ten times with ten makos, but at the Yamsuf, they're struck 50 times, 5 times 10. You know why? Because unlike in Mitzrayim, where it uses the word etzbalokim, the finger of Hashem was evident in the Makos, well, at Yamsuf, it says for the very first time, Vayar Yisrael es hayad hagdola. Here they saw absolutely the great hand with its five fingers, five times. One finger sets a sum total of 50 Makos. And intuitively, we all understand there's more than a number game going on here. One finger in Mitzrayim is 10, and then a whole hand at Yam, an entire hand at Yamsuf is 50. It's not prosaic arithmetic. There's something meaningful. There's something conceptually meaningful about this increase between finger and hand. Well, what is it? What is finger of God? That depiction of the miracles of Mitzrayim can note in our consciousness 
in contrast to the hand of God. So when you think of a finger, there are many things which a finger could do. There are many tasks we could complete with a finger. Certainly in a digital age, you could bu- press a button with your finger. You can even accomplish certain significant motor tasks, whether gross motor or fine motor, with your finger. But a finger is somewhat feeble. Touch is soft, feeble. A hand, on the other hand, has a might to it, has a power to it. In Mitzrayim, the finger of God means God is present, but it can be seen as feeble. He has not come through for his people yet fully. The Mitzrim might, might, and in fact do come chasing after them. It's only at Yamsuf. He shows, I'm steering this ship, and I'm steering it with confidence. You can rely on me to take you from A to Z. The Mitzrim are gone, and you're provided for with Mun and all the other things. So hence we understand the beautiful meaning to this Midrash, a contrast in that God between the finger and the hand, and how it's conveying this oh-so-important idea of what Amun is all about and why the miracles of Yamsuf give us an ent- our entire comprehension of who Hashem is, like that reliable mother who never falters, whose promises you could take to the bank. And I'm going to suggest... that this interpretation of Chazal as we're explaining it, at Yamsa for the first time, Parshas B'Shalach for the first time, Hashem is showing the hand, the power, the, his might and therefore the bedrock reliability we can have in him. This is not an isolated read of a Pasuk, but actually a dot on a line we can expand the thread much further and begin to notice beautiful textual patterns, how the word yamsef, the word yad, the word hand, and specifically terms of a mighty hand, pervasively permeate the narrative regarding yamsef in our parsha. For example, when you study Diaz Yashir, the Shira, its depiction of the miracles at yamsef, you will see again and again such expressions, the mighty hand. For example, Yemincha Hashem Nadari Bakach, your right hand, your mighty hand, is glorious in power. Yemincha Hashem, your right hand, Teratz smashes the enemy. And likewise, the Pasuk, Natisa Yemincha, your right hand is stretched out, Tevloemo it's bearing the enemy. And likewise, the verse, Konunu Yodacha, your hand is firmly establishing. Mighty hand. The word keeps on appearing. The concept keeps on appearing. No more feeble touch. Reliability. That is what Yamsef is all about. And again, I cannot understate the significance of this. Amun of Hashem this way. An Amun and Hashem which can dispel any clouds of doubt. You're here, you're firm, you're convincing, you're compelling, 
It's Amuna here for the first time. It's bedrock security here for the first time. It's what you want in a father and a mother. It's what you need in a God. And the pattern continues. There are other expressions of mighty hand with this connotation, not feeble finger, but I'm here for you powerfully and reliably, which now surface all over the place in our parsha and take on meaning which we never appreciated in them before. For example, we have a very interesting passage in the build-up scene to Yamsef, when it's describing how the Jewish people who had left Mitzrayim were initially confident, proud, these are the people of the Exodus, but very quickly when they saw the Egyptians pursuing them, they saw Pyro on their heels, very quickly, their self-confidence becomes depleted. So the Torah uses very interesting language to describe their initial confidence, which was depleted very, very quickly when Paro chases after them until he was defeated at Yamsuf. It says as follows. B'nai Yisrael had left Egypt with a raised hand. But in context, the verse is saying, but they lost that raised hand, that sense of confidence, when Paro pursued them. As the entirety of the verse says, Paro now pursued the Jewish people. went out with a raised hand, it's saying in context, well, now, but now that Pyro's pursuing them, that sense of raised hand falls pretty quickly. Well, this term, raised hand, when given the greater context we're tracing in Parshas B'Shalach, the issue of a powerful hand, jumps off the page, indeed. The to be or not to be question at Yamsuf is, will our hands be raised? Not only will Hashem's hand be raised in triumphant victory at Yamsuf, but by extension will we have that self sense of confidence. Because, of course, the bedrock faith of our parsha is not only a theological blessing, but a human blessing, a personal blessing. We become mighty, confident, secure people when... We could stake our peg, our peg of self, of personal reliance in Hashem. So whether we will remain biyad Ramah, that is indeed the to be or not to be questioned at Yamsef. And seen from this perspective, we understand yet another Pasuk. When Hashem instructs Moshe at Yamsef, Vata. Raise your staff and stretch your hand. Notice how those same two words in the previous Pasuk, Yad Ramah, raised hand, both appear here when he tells Moshe, raise your staff. Harem, raise your staff. Raise your staff with an outstretched arm. So clearly echoes of the previous verse that the Jewish people's questionable Yad Ramah, they're the issue of their confidence, which now has been thrown into jeopardy with Paro on their heels, well, that is being addressed by Moshe raising his hand. 
the same term, when Moshe raises his hand and accomplishes this miracle. The Yaakov in the verse is insinuating, we in turn, our, our Yad Ramah, sense of confidence, might, is in turn restored. And this observation, this textual pattern, of the harim the fact that Hashem told Moshe at Yamsuf, raise your hand, is particularly powerful when we appreciate its novelty. That it is, this is actually the very first time that Hashem is using the words to Moshe, raise your hand with a stick. Back in Mitzrayim at the time of the Makos, he never uses that word harim, raise the staff. He simply says, kach in the Mako story, he simply says, Kach take your staff, Umatayidacha. Stretch your hand with a staff, with a staff that you had taken. He never says, Harim, raise it. Again, Torah in the Midrashic process is, is interpreted through nuance, through the most subtle compare and contrast. Here, we appreciate the novelty of this, that the novel meaning and interpretation that lies in this fine contrast and language for the very first time, raise your hand to restore the Jewish people's Yad Ramah raised hand because that was the entire mission at Yamsuf. And this is how we Jews know Hashem and live with Hashem forevermore. You could take his promises to the bank. Now that is not to say that life is now a bowl of cherries. Because we have this amuna, milash and aim for the word mother, we are like a babe in its mother's arms and we don't worry. Because we adults do worry. As we live through life, the vicissitudes of life, the challenges of life that befall us, that frankly besiege us. Questions of faith, issues of doubt do surface. But what Yamsat and Parshas Peshalach has done to us is it has created a font of faith. It has created a well of Amuna deep in our hearts, deep in our neshama that we could dig into at any point. Whenever a Jew faces struggle, real struggle, Parnassus struggle, relationship struggle, personal disgrace, spiritual conflict, whatever it might be, the questions are real. But we have this deep, deep font well of Amuna to dig into. This was established at the inception of Jewish existence here at the culmination of the Etzias Mitzrayim story when the Jewish people were at Yamsuf and Amparshas Peshalach, which follows. This appreciation that Amuna is a struggle. The struggle remains. But Amuna provides us with the tools how to deal with it. I would suggest is borne out from the continuation of the Parsha after Yamsuf. The Parsha consists of again and again the Jewish people struggling with faith as they travel through the desert and they face the arid desert, they face the various threats of that undomesticated 
terrain. Again and again, they questioned Moshe. Why did you bring us here? And it's so clear the parish is breaking out. For all the amuna vayaminu b'ashem of Yamsuf, people continue to doubt as new situations befall them. And that's the story of the human condition. While people reading Parshas B'Shalach tend to be very judgmental of Klal Yisrael. Here, after Yamsuf, after Vayaminu B'Hashem, how does your faith dissipate so quickly? Well, that's an easy question to ask when you're studying Parshas B'Shalach in an air-conditioned base medrash or in a cozy living room. But when you are in a desert, you're a human being. When you are in a desert with a starving wife and kids who you don't know how you're going to feed tomorrow, you struggle. The Amunah of Yamsuf notwithstanding, B'nai Yisrael struggles. They're challenged, but Hashem gives them these challenges because now they can handle these challenges. They have the tools to deal with it. They can dig deep inside into that Yad Ramah. They can access that Yad Ramah. Harem es matachonatayadacha. Everything connoted by Moshe's hand raised high, and ultimately Hashem's raised high, the Yad HaGdola demonstrated of Hashem, that sense of firm hands on the steering wheel, confidence, poise to face down threats. And hence we can begin to trace the culmination of our pattern in our parsha. That despite all the doubts of the Jewish people, the struggles of the Jewish people, culminating with the attack of Amalek, when we have that hellish enemy thrown at us, we find in the battle with Amalek, which concludes our parsha, all the magical words we've been tracing in our parsha reappearing and tying together our parsha with a beautiful satin ribbon. For example, Moshe leads the Jewish people in prayer in tefillah when they fight Amalek. And the term is Vahayakashar Yarim Moshe's Yado. When Moshe raised his hand, the Gavri Yisrael, the Jewish people were strong. Notice how it uses the words Yarim Yado, the raised hand. Well, those were the very same words we traced repeatedly earlier in our parsha. Yad Ramah, Harem Esmatachonatayadacha. Well, that appears here in the end of the parsha with a sensitive ear, which we have cultivated over the course of this parsha and an appreciation of its fineness of language. It is so apparent that the Torah here is tying its narrative together, stitching its narrative together and telling us indeed. It is no coincidence that Moshe's hands were raised in the battle with Amalek. This was intended to be a restoration of the previous raised hand, of all the Amuna they had accessed at Yamsuf with the raised hand ver- imagery as portrayed by the verses back there. It was a reaccessing of really what was always their own, because deep down a Jew, a Jewess always has Amuna, always has a sense of confidence the raised hand. Sometimes it's just buried under a lot of stuff, hence at any time. Doubt, struggles, all the vicissitudes of life in the desert and the story which transpired after Yamsuf until this point, the, the harem as Yadu, the sense of confidence is restored. And you will notice other terms, other magical words in our parsha, which connote the same idea, what faith is truly about. 
reappearing here along with the raised hand. For example, the following Pusuk describing Moshe's battle cry, battle tefillah in, in the war with Amalek says, V'hayu yadav emunah, Moshe's hands were faithful. They were engaged in a prayer of Amuna, of faith. Well, that term Amuna, in conjunction with the word Yad, is so powerful, echoing of Yamsuf, where we had that same conjunction. The revelation of Hashem's hand along with the word Amuna, Vayaminu Bashem. Because as we explain true Amuna, it's that sense of reliability, of dependability. Hashem is really, really here for us. And the parashah, the, 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 this narrative, the battle with Amalek at the end of our parashah appropriately concludes yet again with the term Yad, ki yad al ka, Hashem's hand is upon his throne. The verse, this verse concluding our parashah, can't, it, it's almost impossible not to read it in a jumping off the page sort of way, a leaping off the page sort of fashion in light of all the evocative power of this word, the hand of God, not the feeble finger. He's here for us. He's here for us strong. This is what our parsha is all about from beginning to end. And our parsha lays bare that the story of Yamsuf is not stagnant. The amuna of Yamsuf, the sense of the raised hand and the confidence could seem lost at some point. Indeed, there are challenges of faith in the, in the interim. But we're able to re-access it. This is not only the story of Parshas B'Shalach, this is the story of a Jew, of a Jewess's life. It's all about Amuna. As the Gemara says, Chavakuk saw the entirety of Torah really as living with faith. That's what it's all about, Amuna. Amuna, with all the meaning we interpreted. Not simply belief in Hashem due to theological, mathematical proofs to God's existence in an abstract way. That's not really what it's about. Because, of course, as the great ethicist Bertrand Russell once said, you think I'm a triangle? We don't live in the realm of abstract mathematics and thought. We live in the human realm, the emotional realm. True amuna is that reliability. Amuna milashen aim. That powerful bedrock which we have. And we could always stake our peg in. (coughs) And the messages be strong. The message is don't abdicate your sovereign position. When difficulty strikes, don't become a nebuch. Don't cower. Maintain your equanimity. Maintain your focus, your poise. Because you have this font of faith. Continue to steer that steering wheel, not simply the steering wheel in the car, but your steering wheel to life. Continue to drive it with that firm hand rather than the feeble, quaking fingers. 
because you have Amuna. Something bedrock. This appreciation of Amuna, of our Parsha's theme, can be traced one step further when we turn from our Parsha to our Haftorah. Careful study of the Haftorah is always very helpful in terms of capturing the Parsha's theme. When, when we appreciate why Chazal, why the sages selected the Haftorah passage from the Navi as the sister portion to the Parsha, not simply because of loose textual connections, but because it captures the Nisham of the Parsha, the whole theme of the Parsha. So from that perspective, let's study this week's Haftorah. This week's Haftorah is the well-known story in the days of Devorah, Devorah Hanaviyah, Devorah the prophetess, when Devorah directs the Jewish people, you need to fight against an enemy. There's this enemy, Sisera, who has been tormenting the Jewish people. And let's deal with this issue once and for all. And Devorah consults with an individual. She actually gives a mission, empowers an individual named Barak, who some believe was actually her husband. And she says, it's your job. You're, you should be the j- battlefield general. Lead the Jewish people in battlefield, to the battlefield to triumphant victory over Sisera. And what does Barak say in this tragedy, literally a tragedy? This is a tragedy literally of biblical proportions when you see a man reduced to this. When he says, I will do it. I will lead the Jewish people in battle but only if you follow me, Devora. And she says, have it your way. You were supposed to do this yourself, Barak. But if you need me, you will see that you will not fell the enemy of Israel. You, and for that matter, no man will knock out Sisera. He will fall to the hands of a woman, which is in fact what happens when it is Yael, Yael Eishas who is the one to kill Sisera with the peg of her tent. What makes the story so gripping is this severe warning given Barak. Barak Devorah says, if you need me, Barak, you need my presence, says Devorah Hanaviyah, you're not going to be able to kill the enemy. He's going to fall to the hand of a woman. What we could hear here and re- is that Barak is losing his manhood. It's so tragic. He is saying, I can't rise to the challenge generally associated with a man. The word for man in Hebrew, gever or gavra, from the word strong one, I am not a gavra. I am dependent on Devorah Hanaviyah. I am dependent on this woman, this great woman, but I am dependent on her. I've abdicated my role as a man because I don't have a Muna. You sense that he's holding on, you'll forgive me, to Devorah's apron strings here. And Devorah says, you and menfolk like you are showing they have lost their manhood. They have shed their gavrahood. So hence it is up to us women to do the job that otherwise would have been the job of men. It is Yael who kills him, and women who demonstrate that if men do not act like men, 
it will fall to the heroic Jewish women. Powerful story. Deep, deep tragedy, a tragedy of biblical proportions. But one which we now understand is oh so relevant to the theme of our parsha. Barak's challenge is the very issue of our parsha. You're ready to fight the war. But is your amuna, is your gvura, is your strength sufficient that you could plow on with confidence, with poise, with a yad ramah? Or are you always looking over the shoulder? Is mama here to bail me out? Do I still need apron strings to hold on to? This struggle of Barak is the very issue of our parsha. He's struggling to aspire to our parsha's mandate, the mandate of Amuna, of confidence. And from this perspective, we appreciate yet another verse in our Haftorah, the concluding verse. Finally, after Yael kills off Sisera in a way which Barak could not, the heroine rises. And Devorah sings an entire shir, an entire ode, and she ends with the words, and with this our Haftorah ends, Va'ohavav ketzei shashemesh b'gvuraso. Hashem's beloved ones are strong like the morning sun. What is the meaning of that passage? Why is it relevant to the story here, comparing Hashem's beloved righteous Jews to the strength of the morning sun? Gvura, the strength of the morning sun. That is, in fact, what the story is all about. Being a gibar being a strong one, shining forth with power, givura. In fact, we can interpret that verse on yet a deeper level and see how it contains this message of strength of Amuna. Because the Gemara interestingly tells us regarding this verse, about whom does the Vodah say here? The O of Hashem's Hashem's beloved ones are strong as the morning sun. This is said in regard to somebody who is Minhanalovim the Ainonolvim, someone who is ins- insulted by other people, but doesn't fall to the level of his insulter, does not insult the other person back. In other words, a person who is not thrown by insults, a person who is not thrown by snickering, by doubt, a person who plows on and can hold their tongue, hold themselves together. That's Amuna. That is interpreted. Strength like the morning sun. Why? Because you will notice the sun is not always out. When it is night, it is dark. The sun is not out. Likewise, the individual, when they are insulted, or when they are facing any personal challenge, their light is elusive. But they hold on. And then they reach the morning sun. The sun comes out in the morning. The skirmish with the insulting individual just falls by the wayside. And now the strength of the fellow who held on tight, held on tight with Amuna, not only Amuna and Hashem, but Amuna itself. I'm not going to allow the person's insult to get to me. I'm certainly not going to lash out back with a 
ping-pong ball sort, tit-for-tat, I'm going to insult you back and lose myself here. I'm a person of amuna. I'm a person of strength. The Gemara interprets this as we're explaining in regard to our Pasuk in the end of the You are like the morning sun. You are strong. You are bigvura. You are able to, like the morning sun, last beyond the darkness of night, last beyond, firmly plow on through tragic circumstances and then come out in all your strength and all your glory, demonstrating your strength which had always been present. Strength through adversity. This is what it's all about. Tzadik Bamunaso Yechia. This is what our parsha is all about. This is what our Haftorah is all about. As borne out by this tragedy of the man who was unable to do this, Baruch, who had to hold on to Deborah's apron strings, and he was told, if you don't act like a man, you will see. It's women who are going to do the job. And let's notice a final textual observation in the Haftorah and with this wrap-up or sheer and wrap-up our presentation. Several times you will find the word yad and the strength of a hand in the Haftorah. For example, the Haftorah begins with the statement, when Devorah is telling Barak, please do this yourself. Take this mission to heart. Go defeat Sisra. She says, unisatiu biadecha. The prophecy which Devorah is given, which eventually she relates to Barak is, I will give him over in your hand. Interesting to note. And then the word hand reappearing in the actual execution of this mission. When Yael raises the peg, she raises the peg in her hand. Well, by now, we appreciate the evocative nature of this word Yad from our parasha now linked in the Haftorah. The raised hand is too powerful an imagery in this context not to notice its larger meaning. The raised hand, well, Yael had it when she raised the peg here and was showing the strength which the men did not have, the amuna which the men did not. Evoking back to the Yad Rama of Moshan, Harema Matacha Unateu Yadacha, and the Yad Rama of Menesha with her raised hand. And likewise, the verse continues, The Jewish people's hand now, as a total nation, the, the collective body of the Jewish people, their strength is depicted now as a progressing hand. Their hands became progressively stronger. Interesting expression, while well, we understand the power of this term, the strong hand, the confidence. And you'll find other usages of the word Yad and the word Yamin, right hand lifted from our parasha in the Haftorah, for example, when the Haftorah says, Yadehalayatet, again serenading Yael, who killed Sisra. Her hand grabbed hold of the Yatet, the Yamina, and her right hand, her strong hand, again, with its unmistakable reverberation, reverberating echo back to our parasha, to Yemincha Hashem, your right hand, the confidence connoted. That was displayed by Yael here. Because all in all, the parasha and the Haftorah wrapped together now seamlessly. It's right there in front of us, staring at us. And now we, now we see it. The big picture perspective. 
as the various passages interwrap. Amuna is a bedrock of faith in Hashem, but it becomes a bedrock of faith in self, a bedrock of self-confidence. No lurking doubt. Or more accurately, yes, there is lurking doubt, but I triumph for the lurking doubt with the power of Amuna, staking my peg in the, in the, as we called it, in this bedrock of reliability, in this bedrock of dependency. This is the faith we need. This is the contribution of Parshas Beshalach. My bracha, my blessing to all of us is, may we always have this sort of amunah, a faith not only of the mind, but a faith of the heart as well, which buoys our own self-confidence. We have a Hashem behind us, a Hashem who's empowering us personally. We could take that promise to the bank. Let's be strong. Men and women alike, the Olvav could say Sashemish Begulurasso, strong like the morning sun. Thank you very much. Any questions? Yashikachasa. Thank you.